Amen. Well, get your Bibles and uh, turn with me over to the book of James again today. James chapter number 4, verses uh, 13 through 17 will be our text this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Everybody uh, found their place in the Word of God this morning? Amen. Amen. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what tomorrow Or what will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray together before we start. Father, we are grateful for this day. Father, we're grateful for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grateful this day for the word that you've given us. The hope, the blessed word which speaks life. And Father, we ask today, Lord, that this word would go forth and not return void. God, I know it has the power to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. It has the power to raise the dead and give them life. Father, we thank you for your saving power and the atonement of Christ that redeems us and ransoms us, takes us as an orphan and makes us a child. And we bless your name today, in Christ's name, amen. Another text in James today, which uh, is again targeting the idea of true living faith. We look back in the prior passages that we've studied, and much of that has been revolving around tests of faith. We know that we were tested by trials, and you're tested by temptation. The tongue, uh, partiality, um, being a doer of the word and a hearer of the word and not just a hearer only. And and that your faith is is evidenced by how you live and your actions. I know we've probably belabored that point over and over and over again and it seems redundant, but... Uh, In modern-day evangelical churches today, there's a vast difference between what one says and what one does. And another test of faith or another uh, example that we look at in Scripture that will define the essence of of truly who we are and what's in our heart is um, our desire to do God's will. Our desire to be responsive to God's will and responding to what the will of the Lord is. Now, I have a a rather lengthy introduction, so I want you to bear with me for just a moment. 
But one's desire to do the will of God in your life is evident certainly by how you live. Psalms chapter 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God, for your law is written within my heart. That's what the psalmist said. He delights to do your will. Psalms 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God, and let your good spirit lead me. So there is an application from the psalmist and from us to say, Lord, teach me your will. I want to know. Mark chapter 3, verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That pretty much lays out a litmus test. For a disciple, it's evidenced certainly by your actions and your behaviors. John seven seventeen, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. But in Matthew chapter seven twenty one, we find this sobering warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So saying and doing can be two entirely different things. It's easy to to say you're something. But over the test of time, then that will prove whether that is true or not. You can say you're a mechanic. I've used uh, this illustration before. You can say you're a mechanic until someone's car breaks down and they ask you to fix it. And it exposes, really, that you're not one because you don't know what to do. And so the same thing about the will of God. Well, I can say I'm a believer. I can say I do this and I can go to church and I do all of these things. But... At the end of the day, what proves and what gives evidence of your saving faith is how you live and whether or not you're doing the Lord's will. I've, um, most of you probably noticed this over time, of course, in an obituary, whether it's in a paper and, or, uh, whoever still gets one, I don't know, but, uh, or online, you read an obituary and, Almost everybody's a member of a church somewhere. They may not have been there in 40 years, but they're a member somewhere. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2 says, So as to live the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. But the greatest example we have of God's will is Jesus himself. In John chapter 6, verse 38, here's what Jesus described his messianic mission by saying, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus explained to his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 34, when they were worried about food and, and where that might come from. And Jesus said this, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. But the most pressing and and powerful 
thing that we could see Jesus enduring his human affliction was when he was in the garden. And of course, he said this. He said he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, everyone reaches that point somewhere in their life. They are pressed with some sort of trial. They are pressed with some sort of suffering. And they are pressed with what seems like no end to it. And their desire is to be relieved from it. Their desire is to be healed from that. That was all of our desire. But the end is how we should view it is that, Lord, I not my will, but yours. And the more you draw near to God, the more you see the purpose of his will and not yours. Whatever pain or whatever difficulties we endure, we want to be delivered from them. And even as Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, he said, either way, we're not going to bow down to your God. If the Lord will deliver us from the furnace, so be it. If not, we're still not bowing down. So in either circumstance, if the Lord delivered, which he did, and they were doing God's will, and if it was his will for them to die in martyr, then they were willing to do that because it was the Lord's will, not their own. So when a Christian and, and believers are, are characterized by doing the will of God, it's, it's something that we desire to do. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Amen. That's our desire. It may be easier to please man, but it certainly isn't biblical to do that. Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think sometimes we pray that prayer, but we don't mean it. In the words of the great hymn, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Now, that defines a a person who is desiring to be molded and shaped into the will of God and into his likeness, even if it means through very difficult times. And so on, on that one hand, I think we all will look at and agree that it is, it is clearly a scriptural principle for us in our lives as believers and as evidence of true saving faith in our lives that we desire to do the will of God and that we want to be in God's will and that we desire to be there. Even though it may be a time of difficulty in our lives, it ought to be the 
the very heart of every Christian to be in the will of God because I don't think any of us are, are really wanting to wander outside of that will or do things our own way because we know, as mentioned in Sunday school this morning, the lack of fear of God always results in hideous and grievous sins. And it ought to concern a believer today if he is bent on doing things his own way. Look at James chapter 4 again. Back up. Let's back up just a little bit. Back to verse number 1. James 4 verse 1. On the other side of this coin, this is what James is dealing with in, the, in our text today, but let's get a little a run and start to where he's at. There is the one who follows the will of God, and there is the one on the other hand who has a clear disregard or disinterest in the will of God. And it always produces underlying things, worldliness, slander, immoral behavior, hideous sins. Look at James 4. Let me read verse 1 again. It says, where, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasures, your desire for pleasure that you war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Where and whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit of a who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Then we have these commands in scripture. Verse seven, submit, resist. Verse eight, draw near, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, lament, mourn, weep, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Then verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren, but he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So he lists all of these things building up to this idea that they were slandering and they were speaking evil of one another and they were making themselves become uh, in place of God. And then he comes to verse 13 when he says, Come now, you who say. And those words, come now, it's a, uh, insistent. It is a a brash call for attention. It means listen up. It means get this. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, it's used in this way. Come now, same form, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be like wool. It is a dangerous thing for us to ignore God's will. 
Come now, you who say, literally means, and is constructed, come now, the ones who are saying. So somebody's saying this. It's an infectious thing happening within the church. It indicates that people were habitually living without, without a regard for the will of God. Notice in the text it says, verse 13, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Do you notice what's absently missing from that passage? God. They said they were going to go and do this. That was their plan. Tomorrow we're going to go and we're going to do such and such city and we're going to do such and such thing and we're going to buy and we're going to sell and we are going to spend a year there. Planning and being successful at making money is not a sin. Okay, Planning and, and being a, a good steward of your time and getting out a calendar and making plans for the future and planning to start a business or planning to do something or planning to change jobs or planning to build a house or any of those things, they are not sin in and of themselves. In fact, um, if you don't make plans, you're liable to be in a lot of trouble at some point. You'd be like the, the grasshopper in Proverbs who just hops around, doesn't plan for the winter. But the ant is constantly working and planning. So it's not wrong and it's not unbiblical and it's not sinful for you to plan for a retirement. It's not wrong for you to invest. It's not wrong for you to plan for in those golden years of your life or for the next month or two months. However, what is wrong is that those who habitually think that they articulate their own plans as if God does not exist. They put themselves in the place of God. The problem wasn't the planning. The problem was the absence of God in their agenda. Notice they said, here's what we're going to do, really. Here's where we're going to go. Here's how much money we're going to make. And here's how long we are going to spend there. It is really foolish and self-centered to think that you can plan without the contingency of God in those plans. Let me just run through a few things here um, and a highlight of these presuppositions that they had. They chose their own time today or tomorrow. They chose what they were going to do today or tomorrow. This is what we're going to do. They chose their own location. I'm going to do such and such in the city. They chose their own duration. They chose their, their own enterprise. They chose their own goal. Here's what I am going to do. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter number 12. 
Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Luke 12, beginning in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother, divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, look, you see that? Somebody's missing there. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I, y'all catching on to the problem? Since I will store all of my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> What's that next word, verse 20? <laughs> but, oh, don't you love conjunctions? But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who will those things be which you have provided? It's a foolish thing for a man to think in and of himself, I'm going to live for a certain period of time. It's foolish for you and I to think today because you have labored long and hard at what you have, and which is no, uh, nothing wrong with that at all. But it's not that it would be foolish for you to think that all the time that you spent laboring, all those hours, all that manpower, all those late nights and all that gathering and you're looking and you've got so much, it's a fool for you to think that whatever you have will be there in the next moment. You know it doesn't take but one lightning strike to destroy a home in fire. You know, it doesn't take but one tornado to wipe out an entire town and everything that you possess. It doesn't take but one man saying something on the stock market to cause everything that you've invested in to bottom out. And you are a fool to think that it'll be there tomorrow on your own. Now you see, if, if you look at the text, you see that Jesus is implying this. He said, I have done this. I have many goods. I have built barns. Here's what I'll do. I'll just build another barn to host all of my goods. And then at the end, Jesus said, whose things will they be then? You remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 when he talked about all that he had. And he said, you know what? He said, what it's going to be is when I die, I'm going to leave it to a man who may be a fool with all of that stuff. Who's this going to be then? Whose will it be that you have worked all of that for? And so James, and going back to James chapter 4, he said, you've made plans today. We will go do such and such, spend a year there, buy, sell, and make a profit. So that's, for their, that's what we're going to do. But, but 
here's the foolishness of leaving God out of your plans. And the first point comes in verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Oh, oh man, that's big. That's big. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast for tomorrow, for a man knows not what a day may bring forth. Life is full of trials. Life is full of a matrix of different events, people, circumstances, of which we have little or even no control over. It is impossible, therefore, to plan as if it were guaranteed. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. The weatherman thinks he does. But he's been wrong before. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this in context of Scripture and how we view God's will. Um, it, is, it is not unbiblical. It is not wrong. In fact, it is very wise for you to make plans. To prepare. It's, I've got uh, plenty of fuel in the barn in a generator, just in case. And it power may go out. I don't know. It's not unwise to do that. I, uh, I plan on, and this is my plan, and has been for some time in six years, two months, and seven days to retire. Now, I can get a little more specific if you'd like about that. <laughs> but that's my plan. But I don't know what will happen. I'm not planning that as though it's going to happen. I'm planning that it may happen if it's the Lord's will. And I hope it is. But with the culture and the climate that we live in today and the world itself, nobody knows what will happen. Nobody knows what things will happen. My wife and I planned to build a house in six short months in the year 2015. It was two and a half years later before that occurred. Why? Because it wasn't the Lord's will to do it in six months. It was the Lord's will to do it in two years. Whatever the plan is, and many of us make plans for this year, we plan ahead, but we do not know what tomorrow may bring bring. I don't think Labo planned on getting sick this year, did you? But you planned other things and you planned to do this. You planned to do that. But you did so in mind that it was if it's the will of the Lord. But see, when a man begins to plan his life with the assumption that he is the sovereign and that He is omnipotent, and that He is omnipresent, and that He controls all things, and He's going to move those pawns around as He wants to. The Bible says He is a fool. Absolutely. We do not know what tomorrow brings. But what we do know is that God is working all things out because we are praying and we are wanting to do His will. And Romans 8.28, of course, 
God works those things out. Proverbs 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. But it would be foolish to plan for tomorrow without considering God in those plans. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. But another reason he says, not only about tomorrow, he then furthermore says in the rest of that verse, for what is your life? It even, it's, is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Another reason for those who leave God out of their plans is the brevity of life. They, they think that they have a certain amount of time. But you know what that word vapor defined literally means? On a cold morning, go outside and breathe into the air. And that's how long it is. And, and they generally don't last long. It's like a puff of smoke. Steam coming from a hot cup of coffee is how your life is defined. It'd be foolish for us to think and to make plans as though we're going to live to a certain age. You, you can plan that, but if you plan it with your own, making it without God then it certainly would be foolish. Turn with me to the book of Job for a moment. Job chapter 7. Job was a pretty much a, uh, an expert on this, and he gave us quite a few things to consider. In Job chapter 7, verse number 6. Job 7, verse number 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. An old friend of mine at a church we used to pastor at in Alabama, Auburn Cofield, I preached on that verse years and years ago. And uh, he was just an old, an old fellow, had a lot of wisdom, knowledge, didn't have anything beyond a, a sixth grade education. And he came up to me and said, Preacher, said, you know what a weaver's shuttle is? I said, no, I really, I really don't. He was talking about how fast somebody weaves things together. Anybody that's an expert at that, you can see the quickness in that. Job describes life as quicker and swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. It's just that quick. Chapter 8, verse number 9. Job chapter 8, verse number 9. For we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow. Just a shadow. Chapter 9, Job chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships like an eagle swooping on its prey. And finally, in Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, here's what Job says. 
Man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. <laughs> Back to James. I think we would all agree that most of us would say that that time certainly does fly. And it certainly does go by quickly. And that's why when we plan without regard to God in our lives, we're being foolish in doing so. When we plan without regard to the will of the Lord in our life, and we are, we are foolish in doing that. In fact, here's what James said in verse number uh, 15. Uh, excuse me, verse 16. Here's what James said is that the root of their sin, he says, but now you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. The word boasting here means to speak loudly or to be a loud mouth. <laughs> you, you ever notice that about people? They like, when they like to... When they like to brag and they like to talk and they like to boast of their own, they generally get loud about it. Especially certain football team fans. I will not call out who that might be. <laughs> but there's something about boasting. So not only were they, were they planning this, here's what James says they were doing. They were being loud and arrogant about it. Why, here's what I'm going to do. They were boasting about their arrogance and their arrogance and their foolishness that tomorrow would come and that they would be there and they would do that and they would make such a money and then they're going to come back and do this at this time and that time and everything. They were being boastful and arrogant about it. And in fact, that word comes from the root meaning of to wonder about and it reflects empty promises. This is... Arrogance and boasting and pride is the surefire dagger of spiritual death. To think that we have any sort of sovereign power over our own life. It's by the hand of God and the grace of God that you all are here today. Isaiah chapter 47 for a moment. I want to, the, the, the prophet Isaiah defines the grotesque actions of pride here. And I, it's somewhat lengthy, but bear with me. Isaiah 47 verses number 7 through verse 15. Isaiah 47. But I want you to catch upon the danger of pride and the danger of arrogance. Isaiah 47, verse number 7 says, And you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasure, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, listen to this, I am... And there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I lose the loss of children. Now let me just, let's just stop there for a moment. If you want a, a definition 
And a, and a clear uh, illustration of arrogance and pride, it's someone that says, in lack of concern for God, that I am going to do this. In fact, Satan did the same thing in Isaiah as well. He said, I will ascend to the Most High. I will do this. I will do that. Back to our text, Isaiah 47, verse 9, after they said that. But these two things shall come to you. In a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is none besides me. And I'm just going to stop there. Back to James. But you see the danger of pride and arrogance. And that's what James said was their problem. That was at the root of what they were doing. They were arrogantly, foolishly thinking that they were going to do certain things. Finally, he says in verse number 17, I'll tie in verse uh, 15 and 17 together. Here's what James said you ought to do instead. In verse 15, it says, You ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. For therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So everything that we do, I used to think that verse meant if you knew to do good to, to help somebody out and you didn't, that was sin. I suppose maybe that's still applicatory there. But the text and in the context it is saying that those that know to counsel God about their plans and don't, it is sin. Everything that we do in life, it doesn't have to be overwhelming and it doesn't necessarily have to be to the point of what kind of bread you're going to buy. But everything that we do, we should include this. I'm going to do such and such. If the Lord wills. I'm going to buy that house if the Lord wills. I'm going to go to so-and-so college if the Lord wills. I'm going to do this and that if the Lord wills. Planning and living in this world with the acknowledgement of God that He is the provider and protector and sustainer. We can say as the psalmist, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And that does not mean in any stretch of the imagination that you get every little foolish thing that you want. But if you are in the Lord's will, that you will delight in that and your desire will be God-centered, not man-centered. By acknowledging God, we recognize that He is the central focus to all of our plans. Amen. If you don't have a, a biblical worldview, then the chaos in the world probably has you uneasy. 
If you don't have a biblical worldview about life and about how think God does things and about your own life, and then you will find yourself overly anxious and oftentimes seeking other means of trying to relieve that. But we acknowledge God today that He is at the very central focus of everything that we do. It is by His will that any of us will make it home when we leave here. It is by His will that tomorrow will come. And it is by His will that whatever we plan to do this week comes to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass as you plan it, recognize that God's not arbitrarily acting out against you, but He's just refining your focus to see what His will is in your life. I close with this response of Paul in several occasions. Listen at what he said when they asked him to stay at Corinth longer. He said, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. Always in my prayers making mention of you, this is Romans, if perhaps now by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Romans 1.10, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. Therefore, having leaving this elementary teaching about Christ as Hebrews, let us press on, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instruction about washing and laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and judgment. And this we will do if God wills. If he will. I plan on being here next Sunday, if the Lord wills. We plan to worship here again Sunday, if the Lord wills. And maybe you can get a little bit over the top with that. And um, if you go to the grocery store and say, well, I'm going to get a pepperoni pizza if the Lord wills. But at the end of the day, if we act upon our own, And do things our way, it'll only prove to be trouble. And this was James's point of test of living faith was whether or not they included the Lord in their plans. Mm -hmm. Let's stand together this morning.